bets are amazing, 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 amazing. There's a fly ball hit out to the left. Waiting is Jones. The Mets are the world champion. Here's the one-two pitch. Check him out. Steva has 19 strikeouts. Swung on, hit on the ground towards first. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast on this Monday, January the 7th, 2018. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at MetsMorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at MikeSilvaMedia, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Hope everybody's doing well. I have a chance to check in with everybody. Actually, I was going to do the podcast yesterday on Sunday. It's a normal day, but the barrage of... Trades over the weekend for the Mets made me take a step back and reach out to our buddy over at Metsmerized Online. He was on just a couple of weeks ago, Michael Mayer. You know, these guys, they do a lot of work over at MetsmerizedOnline.com. A lot of uh, procuring of sources and uh, looking over, you know, prospect rankings and lists and, and talking to individuals. And I thought... Because it was so predicated, the moves that were made over the last couple of weeks, uh, specifically this weekend, uh, on the Mets trading away a good number of their minor league depth, I'd get Michael in and get his ideas on uh, the deals. I know he was very critical over on Twitter about that, and I think he'll talk a lot about that, and uh, I'll get his take. Now, as far as I'm concerned to set this thing all up here, hard for me to, you know really go crazy over a bunch of minor leaguers that I I really haven't seen play. I mean, I haven't seen a single one of them play. I could read all the reports. I could go to minor league ball or baseball prospectus or baseball America. I could go to all these different, you know, Keith Law, whoever it may be. And I could read about these guys and we don't know. And, And right now, all I know is this, is that the Mets have decided to take the old regime's prospects they have used those prospects to turn around and get an elite closer, uh, a potential Hall of Fame second baseman, uh, bring in uh, some pieces like J.D. Davis and Keon Broxton, who are uh, depth pieces on the ba- Major League roster, potentially uh, trade Kevin Ploiecki, who wasn't really, I mean, he wasn't a bad catcher, but he wasn't anything special where he grabbed the job last year. And, you know, hasn't really been more than a, an occasional streak hitter, nothing special defensively or framing-wise. 
So, you know, a very expendable piece, understanding that in an era where catchers are, are not really offensive juggernauts, he was probably on the right side of the graph, so to speak. Uh, but they got, you know, some, you know, pitching depth there that they need. I really can't see much problem with all these moves. Now, I'm going to set it up this way. I know the real issue and the real anger that Mets fans have is about the payroll and about whether or not these are the moves that the rest of the offseason is going to comprise of. And I think there's going to be a lot of these type of moves for depth because in order to win, in order to compete over 162 games and make the playoffs, and you saw this in 2016 as the Mets had to go 10, 11, 12 deep, you have to have depth. You have to have depth on the, the starting roster so you can be able to compete day in and day out, withstand injuries, doubleheaders, all those things. Most importantly, you need to have depth in the pitching situation. Uh, you can't expect five starters to stay healthy. Six, seven, and eight have to be able to give you some kind of qualities. You may need them because of, again, doubleheaders, rainouts, whatever, you know. I know that, that some individuals are into the opener, and that'll be a big topic. We had Rob Nyer on earlier this winter talking about maybe that might be the story of 2019. But at the end of the day, I'm traditional. You want to go out and be able to get yourself some depth starters after your f- top five. You know, Number five starter gives you six innings, three runs. Great. Every pitcher after that, if they could give you five or six innings, gave up two or three runs, you're in really good shape. And, and I think if you were able, and it sounds like the Lockett kid, might have an opportunity to be that kind of guy. I know they have some advanced statistics on him that indicate that maybe his numbers that he was putting up in the Pacific Coast League can be better as you get to uh, normal ground. You know, that's that's going to work. Now, these are kind of moves that you need. These are not moves that are sexy, that are going to win the offseason. It's not Manny Machado. It's not Bryce Harper. Real Where you really need to see if they have truly the money, and right now, David Wright's no longer on the roster. They clearly had a buyout with the insurance company. Now he's going to slide, and, and part of this is to get him into some you know, pseudo front office role where he, he pops in and pops out when it's convenient, both he and the Mets. What, how much of that money will they reinvest? And will they reinvest it to what I think ultimately is the best way to invest whatever remaining budget they have, which is in another starting pitcher, and a lefty situational reliever, and maybe see if you can go out there and get yourself another bullpen arm, if possible, on a value deal. That'll be the real investment. I've been debating this for a while, and I know we debated about whether the Mets should go after A.J. Pollock or you know, take that money and, and put it into a pitching and, and, and a reliever. And I really think the more I look at it, the more, and I've looked at Juan Lagares for a while, and when they acquired Keon Broxton over the weekend, I looked at his numbers. And offensively, neither one of those players are overly exciting to me offensively. Broxton is the type of hitter I don't like. A lot of swings and misses. Pops the occasional home run. What he does bring is speed. So on the offensive side of the ball, that's a big plus. And he could steal the base, which is not something that's common anymore. Defensively, he's right up there with Lagares. There's some great highlights uh, that I saw uh, out there. I think that's going to be a guy that's going to be exciting on the defensive side. Lagares from an offensive side, no power, not really high on base guy, not a guy that makes a lot of hard contact. I think uh, from you know I don't have the metrics in front of me, but you watch him enough. He's not a hard contact guy. He's more a ground ball to left field type of guy, 
type of offensive player, but really great defensively. And both of these guys on the defensive side of the ball provide a lot of value. Now, unless A.J. Pollock coming in is going to give you 2015 A.J. Pollock, which is elite center field numbers, and I don't know if three, four years ago that which you could expect. I think that's very optimistic. The gap between a Ligaris and Broxton and a Pollock from a standpoint of what you have to pay, which could be upwards of $20 million a year, to me, I don't know if there's much upside in there. I think there's a better value in spending that kind of money, the 10 15 whatever million dollars they have left, on going after a starter, going after a situational lefty. You know, there's guys out there, I think, you know, Xavier Cedeno, Justin Wilson, maybe Jerry Plevins. I think a lot of the lefties that are out there, you can probably spin the wheel, and I don't know if one jumps out at me more than another. As far as the, uh, the, the the starting rotation, I know Vargas had a pretty good August and September. I do think that the Vargas you got in August and September is more of what you should get. Guy who's going to have a 3-7, 4-ERA in the National League, go around the order you know, two times, probably not a guy you want to go too deep through the third time around the order. He's a six-inning, three-run guy, and most nights that should be good. Is he going to get clobbered? Sure. Is he going to have some ballparks where it's not going to work for him? Sure, that's going to be the case. But, you know, his numbers at City Field were really good. And, and and that should be more than enough for a fifth starter. Now, you go out there, and I know that there was some rumors of a Josh Tomlin or a Derek Holland uh, or a, um, a Gio Gonzalez. Now, Gio Gonzalez will probably, all the, like both Holland and Gonzalez, I was looking at some comparable contracts. Uh, you know, guys like Trevor Cahill, you know, Matt Harvey, uh, Lance Lynn, guys in that. Sphere, Annabelle Sanchez, they're all getting about nine, ten, eleven million dollars a year. There's really no reason why a Holland or a Gio Gonzalez won't fall into that. Gonzalez will probably fall a little bit more on the higher end of the spectrum. Holland a little bit more on the lower. Tomlin to me is more of a minor league invite with an opt out guy who probably, unless he really is lights out in spring training, spend some time in Syracuse. He's a McCalloway guy. So I'm sure Mickey Calloway likes bringing maybe some of his old pitchers in. If they don't, that tells you a lot about what he thinks of his old pitchers. I like Holland a lot because I think he'll be a shorter-term deal. And the numbers last year he put up in San Francisco are very similar to what he gave the Rangers when he won 16 games and then went to the World Series in 2011. I know he's had some injuries. So those are the kind of moves where probably, you know, you get a Holland or a Geo. Now, Geo's going to be multiple years. Holland and a lefty reliever, that might only be a short-term one-year deal. You may be able to get those guys for less than $15 million. And if you reinvest in those are the kind of moves that you can make the rest of the offseason, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with them as long as they go out and they get not just what you saw this weekend, which is depth pieces in J.D. Davis and Keon Broxton, but you do address the pitching. You address the situation lefty. I want two lefties in that bullpen. I want an experienced lefty coming out of that bullpen along with Zamora. And I know if you bring in a Gio Gonzalez or a Holland, they're going to be almost slotted. They're going to want to guarantee a spot in the rotation. And not all these spots are going to be hard to, to – not going to be easy to come by. That slots Vargas into almost a 5-6 role. And Vargas hasn't spent a lot of time coming out of the bullpen in his career. And with the soft tossing stuff, I'm not sure that's the greatest spot for him. But – at the very least, then that guarantees that you have six really good starters. And look, you you probably are going to want to skip guys. You're going to want to manage innings. 
that's all part of the modern game. As much as I hate it, as much as I don't think it's great uh, for for a pitcher, you know, guys like Mats have proven that they're going to need time off. Uh, who knows about Syndergaard? DeGrom has shown uh, the ability to be healthy after he had an injury a couple of years ago. You know, you, you really uh, you know need to factor in, you know, Wheeler, who knows if he's going to need to take a blow, miss a start or two. I really think you need to go into the season with six starters. And they have to figure out a way to swing one of those guys. And I think names that we've heard over the last few days, like Holland, uh, you know, I heard that maybe they're still dancing with Gio Gonzalez, not as excited on Tomlin. You know, those are the kind of guys, and I really like, I keep going back to Holland, I really like him. I think that's a guy that they should look at. Now, you know, the big rub here for Mets fans is that they're not in on Machado, they're not in on Harper. And I keep going back to what I said earlier in the offseason. I just don't know if these players are the kind of impact signings that I would be willing to give up a decade of investment in, be tied to them for a decade. I just don't see it. It's not Beltron. It's not Piazza. You know, Beltron fit. Beltron made sense. And it was a reasonable contract. Even by 2005 standards when he signed it, it was a seven-year deal. You know, when you're talking about 10-plus-year deals, you're getting into A-Rod territory. You know, guys like that, it's it's a lot. You know, what Stanton signed, these are long, long, long-term commitments. A lot could change in four or five years. Forget 10. That's a decade. Think about I keep going back. Think of how you change as an individual in 10 years. These guys are going to change, and they're going to be making $30, $40 million on average value, and they're taking up a lot of the payroll. And look, you could complain all you want about the Mets and their payroll, you know, the $150, $160, 170000000 million gap, that range. When you have that kind of payroll, you really can't afford more than one $30 million a year guy. And they got a guy in Cespedes that's nearly making about $30 million a year. They got a $30 million a year guy. You don't realize he is. You forget that he is. His impact is, is dimming a little bit because the last couple of years he hasn't given you much. But they really can't afford to have a second guy. You'd have $60 million tied up in two players. You want to make a justification for Machado? I could live with that because he could slide to third. He'd get in uh, for Frazier. You know, I'm not sold on Rosario. All this is a pipe dream because even with Machado, the kind of money he's looking for, the kind of years, the fact that he's had a serious knee injury, it's not a situation you want to be in. you got to be right. It's got to be the right fit. It's got to be the right player. I just don't see these guys as being the right fit, the right player. Not at 10 years. Now, he wants to come back for five years, totally different story. But again, you're still committing in a four- or five-year scenario to $30, $35 million. And I just don't know if the current roster and with where they are, where they fall into the uh, spectrum of payroll, you can really afford to have two guys like that. You want to complain about it. You want to talk about revenues, the town they're in, all this stuff, the debt they have. I understand it. But that, to me, is just a, a bang in your head running in circles conversation. Uh, there's really nothing that comes of it other than to to rant and rave. I deal with reality. I deal with how the team operates. And I do think that Brody Van Wagenen has gotten creative. Uh, he's brought in some new guys. You know, Andy Martino over at SNY talked about assistant GM and, and, uh, uh, Guttridge. Uh, he, he's, he's really gone out there, and it seems to have a um, his own 
you know, Adam Gutteridge has his own little metric that he can put together to evaluate minor leaguers. That might be why you're seeing this mass exodus of minor leaguers for major league talent. And then they're going to go out and they're going to try to draft and bring in their own guys. And, you know, if J.D. Davis turns out to be a good hedge to Peter Alonzo and a guy that potentially if Todd Frazier is slumping or not working out could play third, great. If Keon Broxton is a guy that at 28 all of a sudden, you know, realizes some consistency, 20 home runs, 20 stolen bases, maybe gets that average up to 240, 250, you know, with the kind of defense he gives. There's a lot of value there. Now you don't have to worry about, oh, is Ligaris going to stay healthy and give you 2014 Ligaris? You figure out which version or what's the best version of Juan Ligaris with a little bit of a combination of pop and defense. Can you get, can you chemistry experiment and match up with those two guys? And and then the bigger biggest part is even though you know that Cespedes is probably not going to give you much this year, you know who the hell is going to come in, even a, a, a Pollock, and sign a contract, and come here with the idea that if Cespedes comes back, they're going to go to the bench. Because if Cespedes comes back, then then you have to maybe put Conforto in center field and figure something out completely different. There is going to be some clumsiness, especially if if Nimmo and Conforto. And Nimmo's the guy, again, that I feel gets forgotten about. He was a top 25 offensive player last year. Let's see him repeat it. I need to see him do it again before I'm sold. But I'm intrigued, and I like him. And this is the first time since Nimmo was drafted back in 2011 that I'm starting to turn and feel like, well, that guy could be a player. He's not a guy that I look at and go, what were they thinking? There was a guy that I was more than willing to say, hey, you know, go to Cincinnati for Jay Bruce when they were trying to win a, uh, get back into the playoffs and win a pennant in 2016. Good thing they didn't give up Dilson Herrera, who they got back. So, you know, a lot to talk about. We got our buddy Michael Mayer. Let's hear what he has to say and, and, and what he thinks about, you know, some of the, uh, the moves that have been made, the minor leaguers that were given up. Does he like J.D. Davis, a guy that, you know, profiles as a corner bat with power who's had some good minor league numbers? Um, and and potentially could be a hedge to Peter Alonzo or Todd Frazier. Keon Broxton, can he be a better version of Juan Lagares or or combine with Juan Lagares for decent numbers in center field with elite defense? Really important elite defense up the middle. Right now with Cano and the combination of Lagares and and Broxton and and Wilson Ramos, who's not great uh, on a high level, but not bad. They're much better up the middle defensively. And I've heard, you know, there was one rumor today that talked about now that they got rid of Ploiecki, you know, Travis Darno potentially or Nitto getting traded and then maybe going after Maldonado as a as a backup catcher in free agency, which is something that really intrigued me, having Maldonado as a defensive backup. Uh, you know, maybe even have Darno as like a guy who's a third catcher slash utility guy. So there's a lot of ways to go. You know, David Wright's off the roster. They have an opening on the roster. There is going to be opportunities. Uh, they're going to have to if they want to bring in more than one player, open up some 40-man stuff. Um, and see where it goes. Eventually, obviously, Cespedes will go on the 60-day DL and open it up, but that's not an option right now. So anyway, let's take a quick break. When we return, Michael Mayer, Metsmerized Online. Let's hear what he has to say about these moves that were made by Brody Van Wagenen this week. And Trader Brody, that's what we got to call him. We'll be back with more Talking Mets podcast right after this. Fly ball, deep center. Back is Broxton. He leaps. Oh, my goodness! He's done it again! Keon Broxton pulls another home run back. 
this guy. Something else. J.D. Davis and Davis. A great catch. My gosh. This is an incredible play by J.D. Davis. Just going all out. That ball's hit well to right field. All the way back to the wall. Stevenson gone. J.D. Davis. His first Major League home run. We're back. Joining us, uh, he's back. It's not even been more than a couple of weeks. Uh, he was at the winter meeting just a few weeks ago. Our buddy from Mets Miners, Mets Marized Online, Mike Mayer. And uh, lots to talk about as uh, we have Trader Brody over the weekend. Mike, uh, pleasure to have you on. What's the good word by you, my friend? Oh, I'm doing all right. Battling through a uh, that I got from the little one and trying to keep up with everything that Brody's doing. Well, he's dealt the way, you know, here's, here's the interesting thing. You guys, in, in the last time you were on the program, you were talking about how, as a staff, the MetsamoriaOnline.com crew was putting together top 30 prospects. you got to get back to work because Brody Van Wagenen, in the last, you know, six or seven weeks, has traded away about seven guys, a lot, a lot of whom were on that list. Uh, getting back some depth over the last couple of days, Kevin Plowicki out, Keenan Broxton in, J.D. Davis in. Uh, you've been, I'll start with you, you know, initial reaction on Twitter for you, uh, at Michael Mayer MMO, um, was negative on this. And I, I saw what Andy Martino wrote at SNY about maybe what this means for the philosophy of the Brody Van Wagen and, uh, regime. So are you still, you know, data marinate on this? Are you still very, uh, skeptical about the return of what the Mets gave up for the, what is essentially a bunch of depth pieces? Yeah, I I am still pretty skeptical, and like you mentioned, and what I've alluded to um, with the system that they're using, and Martino named Adam Gutrich specifically, who they hired just a couple of months ago, and that's who I've been alluding to. Um, I mean, you can go online and watch his stuff. He's done a couple of things where right on YouTube you can see his models and how he evaluates prospects. And honestly, that's, that's where my concern lies. Um, in all in every single trade that the Mets have made this off season, I believe using his model, um, that they're undervaluing these prospects. I'm not saying that the Mets aren't getting pieces back that can help. Um, that's something that's being misconstrued a little bit. Um, like in the Mariners deal, they got Diaz and Cano who both obviously, in the short term are going to help you. Um, and Broxton is going to help some Davis will help some too. These are depth pieces that are going to help. But the overlying issue is that um, the Mets seem to be undervaluing their own assets, which isn't just a short term problem. That's a long term problem for getting the type of returns that you're supposed to get. But that's not, it's a system that's obviously they just put in place that's going to continue to be in place. So um, I'm, not, I'm trying to not be as down on everything as I was yesterday. I was overly negative, um, though I think it was rightfully so. Uh, but it, I think this is a dangerous trend to keep on going into, specifically when you're talking about the players they received. 
um, in the recent trades with Broxton and Davis. These these aren't starting caliber players that they traded for. Um, so that becomes the bigger issue is they're combining the undervaluing of prospects and using them not to get the value that they should be getting back. And it's not making a big difference, or I don't think it's going to make a big difference on the major league team. It's actually Mike Mayer MMO. I apologize at Mike Mayer MMO on uh, Twitter and Michael Mayer, Mets Marized Online, Mets Miners joining us. And here's a guy that was at the winter meetings, uh, really plugged in into the Mets minor leagues. Now, here was my take in the open. You know, absolutely you can be upset about what you can point out as maybe these are pieces that you could have got on the free agent market. And, you know, maybe it's possible they could have even gotten them for at a, at a pretty decent price. So if you want to start talking about payroll and payroll flexibility, that's fair. I'm not saying that's not fair. You know, the other part of that is maybe they see something in these players that, you know, with some of the uh, depth that the other teams had, you know, Broxton probably didn't have a place in the Brewers outfield. Uh, J.D. Davis probably didn't have a place on the Astros roster. Uh, these guys are, uh, I believe, out of options or maybe have one option left in the case of Davis. Uh, you know, maybe the Mets are trying to benefit from the riches of these other teams. And uh, other than Kelnick, who you gave up in the Cano-Diaz deal, and that's a whole separate conversation. We've had that before. I mean, is there anybody out of these guys that's really going to be painful for them uh, that's going to be an all-star? Kelnick's the guy that's painful, but that was a painful trade because of what you were getting back in the closer and Diaz. Uh, and could they possibly get guys like Davis, who may be a starting player? I'm not saying he's a star, but he could be a component starting player. And Broxton, and maybe there, maybe there's some undervalued. And he's still in his mid to late 20s. Maybe there's some undervalued gem in Broxton where he could be a component player on a team that, let's face it, may not have Cespedes this year, uh, or may have him for a little bit, as uh, Omar Manaya had said on MLB Network last week. But they still have Cespedes next year after that, 2020. So why would a Pollock or any long-term piece sign with a team when you really have three outfielders? You'd be really outfielder number four if Cespedes was healthy. Yeah, to kind of get back to your other uh, your initial point. Um, yeah, I think I mean Broxton has value. He's obviously a good defensive center fielder, um, and unlike Ligaris, he hits lefties pretty well. Ligaris doesn't have great. There was hope that he was going to hit lefties well, but he he never did. Um, Broxton hits lefties pretty well, so he gives you value there. And Davis is actually another guy that hits lefties well. And we know that the Mets before this they were constructed pretty left-handed heavy. Um, so both of those guys, I I think, do provide you use at the major league level. Um, they're probably like 24th and a 25th man. Um, Davis has bigger upside of the two, I think, because uh, he's under control for, I think, five years, and he does have significant power. He's shown that in the minor leagues and even a little bit at the major leagues in a little bit of time, and he has a good arm. He can play third. He can stick on that first and corner outfield. Um, I, I guess my my bigger issue with some of it is, like Broxton, for example, um, he is out of options. Um, he's coming off a terrible season. He's not young anymore. He's going to be 29 next season. I mean, this is, and not that they gave up great pieces in that trade, 
I don't think they did. Bobby Wolf, Felix Valerio, and um, Adam Hill, a fourth rounder last year. None of those are big pieces. Uh, Wall's a back-end top 30 guy. Hill's actually in that range, too, and Valerio's a guy that played pretty well um, last year in his first pro season but doesn't have a ton of upside. Um, But to me, that's still an overpay because Broxton is the type of guy that could be on the waiver wire, say March. Um, And obviously they're paying – the Mets are paying to get him now to – get some depth now and so they have some idea and don't have to worry about the waiver wire but that that's the type of talent Broxton is he isn't the type of guy that you go out and trade three pieces for um I think you you should be able to get him for a wall and Valerio I mean so you're adding you're adding unnecessarily because you're undervaluing your prospects you're adding unnecessarily your fourth rounder from last year so I'm that that is I I don't mean to keep beating the dead horse with this, but that is my issue with the unvaluing. And the other issue here is Broxton and Davis are, like you said, both types of guys that you could probably get on the free agent market. So um, the Mets are showing you that they don't, again, have the money to spend on the free agent market, that they instead have to trade from a minor league system to get bench pieces. I mean, that's a pretty basic need that you should be able to spend on the free agent market to get. Mike Mayer, uh, Mets Miners Online, Mets Miners, joining me. The Mets payroll is probably at about $145 million at this point. Um, you know, another thing I've been thinking about, and look, if Pollock were no money's no object, you know, and you want to be able to eat two or three years of a contract that the guy turns out to be, who's a huge injury risk, uh, turns out to be a dud, uh, then yeah, I get it. Go out and sign him. Uh, and, and yeah, Cespedes will come back at some point. You figure it out then. Uh, but if you had to work in the real world, which is the world of budgets, and every team has a budget, and we could argue about how tight the Mets budget is. That's a whole separate conversation. Is it better? And we'll see. And this is where the the old rubber meets the road, I guess, that old corny saying. If the Mets wind up using some additional flexibility to sign another starting pitcher, like a Gio Gonzalez or a Derek Highland, who I think will cost about nine or ten, maybe eleven million dollars a year, because that's what the market for the Trevor Cahills and the Matt Harveys have been. Uh, and go and I mean throw a blanket over whatever lefty relievers are left. For the most part, they're all the same. Uh, you know that's probably going to be a three, four, five million dollar investment at least for one year. So you got about fifteen million dollars out there to get you a lefty situational guy, a starting pitcher, you know maybe a little bit more. I think that's a better play than throwing $15 million at Pollock because I'm not sure. Now, if you look at the advanced numbers, I'm not sure that Adam Jones is much better than Lagaris Broxton. And if you're getting 2015 Pollock, then that's way better. And that's an elite player. But 2015 Pollock is a long time ago. You're as likely to get 2015 Pollock as, you, as the Yankees are to get 2015 Tulowitzki. Or 2014 Tulowitzki, if that you know, I know that's not the right comparison because Tulowitzki is not going to cost them at much if league minimum. But that that's where I think that if 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 they go out and they invest that money in the pitching, then I'm not as bothered. I don't think you should even be as bothered by this as maybe you are. No, and I agree. Um, if they yeah, like saying the outfield, they keep Lagares and they keep Broxton, 
and they go out and sign a Derek Holland and then say a Justin Wilson or an Xavier Cedeno. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's a better team. And they went out and used the funds that they should be using. Um, quite honestly, I'm skeptical of them doing, at this point, they just signed a Hector Santiago. In my mind, that, that to me is them thinking that's that fifth starter swing man long man bullpen depth. So maybe they are just a bull, uh, looking at a bench piece, someone that can back up shortstop. Uh, Ed Dribble Cabrera has been mentioned, LCDs Escobar, um, and then just the lefty. I, I don't think they're going to go out there and spend money on a fifth starter when they have Vargas. So that's where I kind of I, – I agree that it would – absolutely be a good idea to get a guy like Holland. I don't foresee it happening. And to your point there, I mean, it isn't a great market for outfielders. I mean, like you said, um, they should be in the market for Harper. We know that's not happening. Uh, I know you've talked about Machado. Absolutely should be in the market for Machado. Um, that's not happening. Pollock, like you said, there's injury concerns there. Um, I think where I differ on that is, that if you get 2018 Pollock, which is a three-win player, then you can go three years, 45, 50 million, same to what McCutcheon has, and you're going to get enough value for that deal, even if he only plays 110 games each year. So it all ultimately depends on where his price falls to where I would sign him. But after that, I I don't have much interest in Adam Jones. He can't play center field and he has offensive numbers have dropped. Um, I know one name that's been kicked around a little bit is Nick Marquegas. Um, that makes more sense than Adam Jones. He's a better player than Adam Jones. Uh, he kind of fell off a cliff in the second half last year. So, yeah, to your point, it is it is a weak center field. Uh, it is a weak outfield market, and they did go out and add depth there. Um, it still need a bat and. To me, now you're not going to get it from the outfield. Um, so where do you find it? Uh, and I, I don't see that happening. You know, and, and I have my, Michael Mayer with me here. Uh, you make a, a couple of really interesting points. Yeah, you're right. Uh, look, if Harper Machado gets signed, no one's going to complain about that. I'm not as convinced those guys are as rock-solid Ten, you know, this is a ten-year deal, guy. That's the kind of deal those guys are going to want to get. I don't think, I don't mm-hmm. know if they're going to get it. If Harper gets it, it's probably going to be from Washington. I could be wrong. Uh, it sounds like they're already at that point. And if anybody else wants to sign them, they're going to have to match that. And I, and I think if they did, I'm not sure that it would still be dragged out to this point. Machado, uh, you know, remember there was a serious knee injury. Uh, he makes more sense because he could play shortstop. I'm not sold on Rosario. And even if you are sold on Rosario. You easily could shift them over to third base, so he makes a ton of sense. There's now is he Carlos Beltran, circa 2005, or Mike Piazza, 1998? No, he's not, in my opinion. And Harper to me is a lot of more of a clumsy fit. It's almost, and I hate to use this analogy because it's going to make Knicks fans cringe, but it's like Stottlemyre and Carmelo. I, for some reason, maybe I'm totally wrong. I think Brandon Nimmo and the advanced metrics played out. He's a top 25 offensive player. Uh, he's an on-base guy. Um, I think he's got some intangibles to bring to that team with his energy, uh, something that you've never really seen from Harper. 
uh, Harper can't play center field. If he can play center field, then, you know, this would be a moot point. Uh, to me, that's where the whole Harper Machado thing falls apart, where I don't, it's not even the money per year. I think it's the number of years. And teams like the Dodgers and the Yankees uh, are, are hesitating on that. And maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe by the time this even comes out, they'd have signed and I'd be wrong. But something tells me the Yankees wanted Machado. They could have had this lock signed, sealed, and delivered already. No doubt in my mind. The fact that it's lingering tells you this hesitation. That wasn't the case with a Piazza when he was available. That wasn't the case with Albert Pujols when Albert Pujols was available. Uh, that wasn't the case with Beltran. And, and, and maybe in the case of Pujols, he was even more risky than those two guys. Oh, I think, I mean, there's a difference because both of these guys are 26. So there's less risk when you're giving them 10 years. And I don't think, honestly, I don't think it's the specific players that are giving teams hesitation. I think it's long-term deals in general that are giving teams hesitation. Um, right. They're, they're just seen as a bad, a bad investment, no matter who you give them to right now. And there's not too many teams willing to do it. So, I mean, when I think that has a part plays a part in both of their markets too. I mean, we're hearing three or four teams. So why, why are these teams going to rush into giving them 10 years? It'd be different if you had 15 teams willing to throw money at these guys, then they would be getting their 10 years. No problem. But I, th- I think the supply and demand's kind of a stretching this out longer than it normally would be for this type of player and be kind of keeping it to where, well, now some people think, well, maybe they only end up with eight years, 240 or something like that. Um, I, I, I wouldn't have a big issue. I'm, I wouldn't want to give any of, I don't want tough to give any player 10 year deal. Um, any of these deals are going to have multiple opt outs too. So, I mean, the likelihood of them seeing 10 years is probably unlikely too. So, I, it's just tough for me to talk about them being the two best free agents on the market, potential superstars going into their prime, and the New York Mets aren't even having dialogue with them. That that's my real issue is, and you could make um, make an argument that they both sit on the team one way or another, um, and it's just. How how are you not having a conversation with two of the best, the two best players available? It just that doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. And I know it gets said that you're beating a dead horse or whatever, but it's it's completely frustrating. I know a lot of Mets fans are frustrated at that. No, I understand that. And and look, you know, you throw a thirty million dollar contract in there. The AAV is thirty. You know, you're probably getting that payroll up to 175. You're still under the threshold tax, but you're getting close. And remember, there's there's other things that are going to go into the tax. There's going to be, um, you know, minor league salary benefits. You know, 30 million dollars for one player for this team where they are now. Um, you know, and, and I don't know what the right buyout and all that stuff plays into it. I don't know all the rules here of the collective bargaining agreement, but you got 29 million. You you got really room with the Mets, kind of where they play in terms of their payroll, 150 to $170 million. You really don't have room for multiple $30 million a year guys. You kind of have one already in Cespedes. That's where you, you threw the, the risk in. And, and right now he's not on a field. 
And I think his impact is not being felt by Mets fans because it's been two years since he's been an everyday impactful player. So they forget you do have a $30 million a year player, and maybe that was an overpay. But you had to do it because it was a shorter-term deal, and, and he'll be gone after four years, where, whereas Machado would be something longer. So, again, I'm not defending ownership. I agree. It'd be nice to be able to play in that next stratosphere or, heck, throw caution to the win one year and go above the tax. But, you know, when I was, you know, chatting on social media with someone who's involved with a, a minor league free agent and, and lamenting how hard it is for his minor league free agent, a former first round pick, to get a deal. And he feels that the tax is almost like a salary cap, that every team has been conservative. And the other part of it is it goes back to what you said about Gutridge and his uh, proprietary kind of analytical analysis of minor leaguers. Every team has their own analysis and it's about the best value. So it's Broxton and Davis giving them the best value versus going after Pollock, who may be just as good, maybe slightly better, but from a standpoint of the value equation, Pollock is certainly not going to give you the most value as maybe a Broxton-Lagaris combination. So there's a lot of things I think at play here, which is the industry. Yes, it's ownership, but I don't think it's black and white where it's just ownership saying don't go out and spend. I think it's a, a mindset you're seeing across the game. Oh, I, I think, I mean, there's even talk, I mean, like teams like the Cubs, like they don't have enough money to go out and get. Uh, and you think they regret like the they Jason like. Hayward contract? I bet you they do if you ask them. And there was a guy that uh, Mets fans wanted as well back in the time. Yep, yep. I mean, the Red Sox, they've talked about being close. The Yankees, uh, even the Dodgers, I mean, they had to make moves to even bring Harper in the conversation. So, I mean, that that's definitely part of it. Um, I mean, to me, it's – I mean, the Mets could pretty easily be under the luxury tax and sign one of those guys because you sign – say you sign Harper, then you're obviously going to trade Ligaris and get out of that money. You sign Machado, obviously you're going to sign uh, – you're going to trade Frazier and get out of that money. Uh, and the Mets don't have much money at all. I mean, they didn't have any before this offseason on the books long-term before they added um, Cano's deal. So, um, no, it, it'll certainly be interesting. I still think Machado's going to be the one that signs first, and you would have to think that's going to be, I mean, a lot of the guesses have been sometime in the next seven to ten days to kind of get this rolling. I mean, besides Machado and Harper, you still have still have some, I mean, Craig Kimball is still on the market, the best closer. Uh, Dallas Keuchel, one of the best uh, starters still on the market. I mean, we're in the second week of January, and there is still a ton of talent left on the market. And maybe maybe the Mets waited out and uh, price drops on a guy like Pollock or Marwin Gonzalez, who we haven't mentioned, um, something like that. I mean, I think at this point, it's tough to it's tough to see where a lot of those guys are going to go and who's going to spend the big money. So it'll be interesting to see once that first shoe drops, because that's going to be a big depender. I mean, whoever gets Machado or whoever gets Harper first, um, those other teams that missed out on him then are going to be fighting for the one they missed out on. You know, the other part here is just quite simply, you, you brought in guys like Allard Baird, uh, you know, Gutridge, who's your analyst guy, to Jared Bannon from the Red Sox. 
Maybe they just want to say, look, whatever assets we have, we want to clear out here for major league depth, major league players so that we can compete in 2019. And then the other part is they're going to want to bring their own kind of philosophy to the draft. I mean, this is what you, you got when you hired Brody Van Wagen. And now, again, I understand the fans are going to be skeptical. There's no doubt. I get it. But you got to let this play out. And other than Kelnick, who's no sure thing either, none of those guys, uh, unless you could give me one, are you really going to wake up in three, four years and just go, ah, oh, and cringe? Uh, is there a Jason Bay in there? The Jason Bay part one when the Mets gave and started, threw in uh, back in the day uh, and regretted it before he, you know, you got Jason Bay 2.0, which is post Red Sox. So, you know, that's the part you got to look at it too. Well, I, I don't think, I mean, there's no can't miss guys prospects. Well, I mean, there's some, but the Mets didn't trade any of them. The Mets don't necessarily have any of them, but I can tell you, I know me and all of the guys that write for me at Mets minors and everyone else that covers the minor leagues for the Mets. Um, baseball prospectus, they talked about this on their podcast. Um, they absolutely cringed when they saw that the Mets gave up Louis Santana for J.D. Davis. I mean, that's just, that's way undervaluing his skills. And like, when I talked to Keith Law, um, another way to look at these things is say, you package Louis Santana, Ross Adolph, and um, Scott Mania, who's who they traded for J.D. Davis, and you shop that package around the league, you're going to get better offers in return than J.D. Davis. And I know, like you said, maybe, well, that's someone they target because he's been underutilized in Houston. Um, <laughs> again, something that if you talk to people in baseball, that's that's pretty rare if Houston's underutilizing a guy. I mean, this is a franchise that's at the forefront of baseball right now. Like, they are doing it just about as good as anyone. So it's hard it's hard for you to take them in a deal. So um, it'll be interesting to say, I mean, I think it would be pretty tough to say that this is the last trade that Brody's going to make. Um, there's still some guys on the Mets that, I mean, Ligaris, if they sign it, say they do sign an outfield, I mean, Ligaris would obviously be a prime candidate to be on the, on the move. Um, so it'd be interesting to see. Uh, if nothing else, Brody has certainly awakened Mets fans and uh, given them lots to talk about in the last couple of weeks. And before that, with the Cano trade, he's certainly been active. One of, if not the most active GM, uh, you could call him Jerry Depoto Light with what he's done in the trade market. No, you uh, you got that right. J.D. Davis, you know, I noticed on minor league ball uh, that he went from a C prospect to a B prospect. C prospect is, you know, not quite sure if they're going to be a big league uh, player. Maybe they'll contribute a little bit at the big leagues. A B prospect means, you know, they're probably going to be a contributor, more component player. Guy's got power. I know it was in the Pacific mm -hmm. Coast League. Got a good arm, maybe not range. Um, just watched a few highlights. Obviously, we're not going to see much of him playing the American League out in the West, uh, you know, being, uh, you know, National League East fans here. But, I mean, look, at the very least, if you want to talk about it from a financial perspective, you get to keep Alonzo down and keep that year of control. 
because you could probably slot him in and get enough out of him at first base for a couple of weeks in April mm-hmm. before the, 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 the clock. And, you know, how bad can he be? I mean, a B prospect, top 10 prospect, Astros, yeah, the numbers in the big leagues aren't great, but you got Evan Gaddis uh, at the DH. They've got a first baseman. Uh, you know, they have uh, <clears throat> Guriel there. You know, where else can he really play? He's not really a corner guy. I know that you had some concerns. One of the scouting reports say that he can get beat with a fastball. That's not good. He's more of a breaking ball hitter. I guess we'll see, um, you know, what, what comes out of it. But uh, it's not total garbage here. And, and, again, forget about what they gave no, up. No, no, no. You know, this is not a garbage player that, uh, you know, the no. numbers look at it from a major league standpoint. But go to the – the, the, the scouting report, the prospect list, go to the, the, the minor league numbers. He's still pretty young. There's a possibility that he's as good as what you would have gotten out of Wilmer Flores, I would think. Yeah, I mean, that's that's essentially who he's replacing is Wilmer Flores because, like I said, he hits lefties well, um, plays all four corners, which that's a little added plus over Flores. I mean, he's not very good in the corners, but he has experience there at least. Um, and and I do can't I be do any worse than Flores. Can't be any worse no, well, yeah. than Flores. He's about as bad as they are out there. No, I think so. I mean, I do think he has value. I mean, he's he's going to be a bench piece, and like I said, Broxton has value. Um, I do want to touch on it since we haven't talked about it yet. Uh, Kevin Ploiecki, um that trade again. That that obviously Ploiecki is not a prospect, um, but that showed the continued theme for a lot of people of them undervaluing just their assets in general. I mean, I know some fans are going to laugh about this and they already have on Twitter because um, they just look at batting average and stuff like that. But Ploiecki has actually been an above average offensive catcher the last two years. I mean, that's, that says less about him and more about the state of catching in baseball, but that also talks about his value. Um, I thought they were going to get more for him, and a lot of people expected they were going to get more for him. But uh, Walker Lockett, the right-hander they got for him, who is on the 40-man roster, um, there are actually some good scouting reports out there on him, people that feel that he can be at least um, starting depth at the major league level. I think uh, read some scouting reports, talked to some people, watched some video. I think he's more of a swing guy, uh, pitch a couple innings. He reminds me a little bit of Gazelman. Uh, pretty good sized guy, relies on a sinker, uh, decent off speed stuff. Um, not an o- overpowering fastball. So I think, I think you're going to see him at the major league level pitch this year. I mean, he, he's going to have some value out of the. He could have some value out of the bullpen. And the other guy they got, Sam Haggerty, is a um, infield guy. Uh, he made it to Triple A last year. Uh, he's got a little speed. I think he sold 46 bases two years ago. Um, so he's getting a little speed. He gets on base a little bit. So that wasn't a complete throw-in either. I, uh, Fangraphs actually had him. They did their Mets list um, today and had Lockett at 17 for the Mets and Haggerty at 18. So there are people in the industry that feel like they did get some value for Ploiecki. Um, so I just wanted to make sure I mentioned those couple of names. So, Again, both of those guys did add to the depth that at the major league level or close to the major league level, which has been an issue in the last couple of years, as we've seen. It's actually been one of the Mets' bigger issues, 
has been dead. Yeah, the starting the starting pitch. Look, they went through what 10, 11, 12 starting pitchers in sixteen. Made the playoffs. You had guys like Lugo and Gazelman come up and really slide in and pitch really well down the stretch. Without those guys, they don't make the postseason in twenty sixteen. Real indictment on Alderson in the sense where the starting pitching depth and even plugging in somebody that can give you six innings, three runs. Now, I do expect them to go out and maybe get a Josh Tomlin, who's a, a guy I think could get a minor league deal, former Indians uh, pitcher, you know, invite to spring training when an opt out, maybe goes down up to, you know, I got to say up to Syracuse now. Down, it's really down to the minors, but Syracuse is up from New York. Uh, <laughs> goes to Syracuse. See, I don't know how that works. Down to Syracuse. Goes down to Syracuse. Uh, Pitches pretty well, and then it could spot in here or there or get an opt-out by May 15th or, or June 1st, whatever they decide to do, uh, you know, something like that. You know, so those are the guys will be available. But this locket type of move for Ploiecki, I mean, Ploiecki's making about a million bucks. That's can't be mm-hmm. – that's not the financial strapping that the Mets – I mean, you want to take that status? You want to take that that mindset? Fine. You know, they're strapped. They can't afford a million-dollar third-string catcher. Uh, there's talk of them going out and, and trading Darno or Nitto and maybe start signing Martin, Martin Maldonado. Uh, I don't know if they'll go that route. I'd like that as a backup. I think Maldonado will be a far better backup than uh, Darno. Uh, you know, maybe not offensively, but defensively. And that's the kind of guy that you can, you can put in there. Uh, so there's a lot of different ways you could go. But I think it's an indictment. They need starting pitching depth. And the Tomlins of the world, I just throw that name out because they were connected to him over the weekend. And I think that's more realistic to bring him in on a minor league deal than, say, spend $9, 10 $11 million on a Highland or a Gio Gonzalez. And let's not forget, you know, Jason Vargas's numbers over the final eight to ten weeks were about league average, which is probably what you're going to get from Gio over the course of a season and probably what you get at a – Holland will probably be a little bit better. Holland and Gonzalez, I think, are a lot closer than people think. Gonzalez is a little bit more consistent and, and healthier, so you got to give him the, the, the nod. He probably gets more years based on that, but um, they're not as far away from Vargas on a Vargas normal year, not the Vargas awful first three months that brought down his numbers last year. Not as far away as people think. Uh, from an, from, no. I think Gio Gonzalez is better than those guys because of his overall resume, but it's not as uh, much of a gap as, as one would think. No, and I think, I think what we saw in the second half of Vargas is more of what Vargas really is. Um, he took that uh, line drive off the hand, broke his hand, and I think the Mets, I mean, they said they rushed him back. I mean, <laughs> there's no guessing about it. The Mets really said that they did. So I think, I mean, I think that hurt him at the start. So I, I do think he's going to be better, and I do, I would still like to see them go out and get depth there. I mean, you mentioned. And I'd like it to be a little stronger than Tomlin. I mean, Tomlin was pretty bad last year. And you've mentioned Gonzalez, Holland, um, Clay Buckholtz is another guy. I was pretty good for Arizona last year, but track record is not great recent success-wise. So you could get him on a short-term deal. Uh, Wade Miley, another guy. Uh, Drew Pomerantz, even. Uh, if you could get him something on a short-term deal, uh, like a one-year low-term deal, um, those are guys that I would kind of target over Tomlin. Um, but I, they they obviously need to add starting pitching depth, like you said, said beyond Santiago. Um, and that that's just one thing they have done, whether it's with 
Broxton or Davis or Santiago or um, Lockett, like we said, is build depth. Um, they have better depth right now than they had last year. I would like to see them continue on that, but it's obvious that they are making sure that they have more protection than they did in past years. Um, even with the minor league signings that they had with Zach Lee and Gregor Blanco, Roger Davis, I mean, these are a couple of those guys have significant major league experience. So that's, those are depth pieces that you need at AAA that they didn't necessarily have last year or the year before. And these veterans, unless they can get an opt-out, are probably going to have to spend time in AAA. It's where the game has gone for anybody north of 30. Uh, last thing, I don't know if you have any thoughts. You know, you were at the winter meetings and maybe you heard some buzz. But, look, we all know David Wright, you know, officially now off the roster. Uh, this whole special assistant of the GM, it's a nice title. We know it's somewhat symbolic. He'll be involved maybe as, hey, David, I'm going to give you a call. What do you think of this? Just as like a, a, a you know, a, someone to throw some things off of. I certainly don't think he's going to have very much say. Similar to I don't think Terry Collins, other than talking baseball with Fred Wilpon, doesn't have a ton of sway. But it is interesting uh, that he's involved, and we know it's probably part of the insurance payout. But we've heard some really great things. And, and look, Andy Martino at SNY has been really locked in on the Mets with their philosophy, who you know, where they're going, what they're thinking. So you got to take it seriously that the Mets indeed were impressed with what Wright can bring to the table in that role. Whatever level that is, is remains to be seen. Any thoughts? I mean, you were out, out in Vegas, and maybe you had heard some scuttlebutt about Wright and his ability to really contribute to this front office that he is now a part of. I mean, I think Mets fans are understand that David Wright's a pretty smart guy. Uh, he knows baseball. Um, and I think I think he was a little more involved than probably fans thought when he was in Vegas. I mean, he sat down with some agents that they talked to for free agents with Brody. Um, and he had discussions with them about certain players. Um, so I think, I think he is going to have some say, some input in those type of things. Uh, I think they value his opinion. Uh, how much we see of him, I'm not sure. He, he has said in the past that he wants to spend time with his family, and quite frankly, I don't blame him after the last the rough couple of years that he's had. So I think it's good to see him staying in the Mets organization, first off. Um, he's the type of guy that should be a Met for life, and it's good that they were able to first get past the baseball part of it, the playing baseball part of it, and to get to this part of it. Um, so it's it's good to see him, and it'll be interesting to see what role he plays or how significant the role is, and uh, hopefully hopefully he can make a difference. Mike, good stuff. Uh, last minute brought you on. I'm looking forward to seeing your updated prospect list. Uh, spring training's around the corner, not too far away. We're past, as Greg Prince said, the baseball equinox, so it's closer to 2019 than 2018. So uh, be well, and uh, we'll do it again. All right, my friend? Awesome, Mike. Thanks for having me. No problem. That's Michael Mayer, Mike Mayer, MMO on uh, Twitter. And uh, you can check him out at Mets Miners, uh, Mets Memorized Online. Good stuff. Let's take a quick break. We'll wrap up. Final thoughts. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. 
Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, Online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back. Final thoughts here on the Talking Mets podcast. Really good stuff from Michael Mayer. And uh, it's one of those times where you could really have a a good discussion, disagree, and uh, still kind of walk away feeling good about how each of us uh, presented our point. Look, the message here is very simple to you guys. And what I'll say is this. I understand you're frustrated. I understand the payroll ticks you off. I understand Keon Broxton and J.D. Davis. And all the other moves outside of the Familia Cano situation are not exciting you. The offseason's not over. Uh, I do believe the market is a situation where it's about musical chairs now. And who's going to be left while the chairs start to dwindle with a situation where the team has more of the leverage than the player? And that's part of the offseason game. You, you kind of go after what you need to jump in the market at, like they did with Familia. They made the big deal with Diaz and Cano. And now they're trying to play the market a little bit, whereas, um, you know, they're going to see what comes to them on the right price and the right value. And that's good business. Does it potentially lend itself to you falling short on a player that you want uh, or being too clever by half, perhaps? Um, is it possible that, you know, the budget, which, you know, doesn't lend itself to being. Uh, big enough to go after a Gio Gonzalez or maybe a really sure bet than, than some of the other names we mentioned. Sure, I get that. But you have to trust that a front office that really has only been together a couple of months has been able to put together with the talent, you know, the Alan Bairds, the, the, the guys like Adam Guttridge, the new analytics uh, individuals they brought in, a, an agent that kind of knows the business, and kind of knows a few things about the players that are out there and, and how to build a team and how to be successful in this business, that they have somewhat of a clue of what they're doing. And if you don't want to give them the benefit of the doubt, I understand you're never going to be happy and you're never necessarily going to agree with any moves short of them signing Machado or Harper. If that's your take, you're going to be unhappy the rest of the offseason because I don't see that happening. And I'll leave you with this. I do not think... Either Machado or Harper are the kind of no-brainer signings that you guys are all making out to be. They're clearly upgrades. There's no doubt about it. They're clearly very good players. But wouldn't the Dodgers have jumped on Machado if he was a no-brainer? You know, think about that. That's an elite. Yeah, you find room for elite player like that. that. I know they have Sager. I know they have Turner. You're going to tell me you're going to, you know, if Machado's this impact player for 10 years, you're going to let Justin Turner stay in the way of that? Come on. I mean, you guys kind of know the answer here. It's not a sure thing. Harper's not a sure thing. Harper's a guy that can be pitched to in big spots. You guys have watched him for, you know, five, six, seven years. Again, very good player. MVP only once at that level of what you want to talk about uh, in terms of 
that kind of player, the player that we're talking about, the old world type of player. Um, and, and, and to me, that's not a guy that you can go out and, and give 10 years to. You just can't do that. You can't go and, and, and bust your payroll and invest all in this one player and then leave the rest of your team lacking. It just doesn't work that way. So anyway, good stuff. Enjoy Michael Mayer. You can check him out on Twitter at Mike Mayer MMO. Of course, you could check me out all the time at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Please leave me a review on iTunes. I'd greatly appreciate it. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast pretty soon. Take care, everybody.